Zwift has group rides for all levels. With a ride approximately every 30 minutes, you can join a group and ride that fits your schedule and your level. Group rides stay together behind a leader. They enjoy friendly banter, a relaxed vibe, a little bit of fun and some friendly racing. Just like rides in the real world, except there's no worries about a rear wheel puncher slowing the group down or being left behind. Check it out for yourself at Zwift.com today. Welcome to the Zwift Cycling Central Podcast. I'm Christophe Mollet and I'm your host. And uh, before we start, uh, let me remind you that you can uh, download or stream our podcast on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash central, on our website, sbs.com.au slash central, or by scheduling a ride with our lovely friends at Zwift. And this week, uh, we've got part of the usual crew and a new guest with us. Uh, let's start with Sophie Smith. Hi, Sophie. Hello. I feel like I haven't seen you for a while. Exactly. And then uh, no banter for the last couple of weeks. I'm, uh, I'm edgy right today. I don't know you if I'm going to cop it or not. On notice. <laughs> uh, Dave Mackenzie, Mac, are you here? I am here. And I'm glad you say that. No banter for the last couple of weeks. I thought I'd been, I was on the outer. I was nah. starting to worry. You change the a... locks or something. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, we've got a special guest with us. Uh, I'm going to say it in French. Excuse me if I, if I, butcher your name uh, Wes Salzberger Berger in French how do Berger. you say it actually Berger yeah, that'll do that'll do Christophe that's good thank you for, for coming into the, the Zwift Cycling Central podcast this week uh, you're of course an ex-rider uh, with a, quite a good uh, pedigree and then you've uh, you're representing Zwift in Australia and New Zealand yeah that's correct so I've just taken on the role the last five months now Going uh, gun busting. Yeah, it is. it's it's very fast paced. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit more mental challenging than physical that I'm used to, but I'm really enjoying it. Okay, uh, we are very happy to have you in the podcast today as well, uh, because uh, we have to talk about Letap Australia, which mm-hmm. uh, just happened, and you were there. Uh, can you tell us how bad the weather was to start with? Yeah, well, the, the original forecast that went out was was pretty bad. Um, and obviously across Victoria, you know, we had, had terrible weather for, um, for Tour of Bright, uh, which then got upheld on the on the virtual platform of Zwift. So that was pretty cool to see that come about. But at La Tap, it actually turned out on the day of not too bad. They cut the, sh- the, rate, the actual course a little bit short. We didn't go right to the top of the, the mountain. Um, it was predicted of 70 mils of rain at the top. So I think that was a, a smart decision to, was it to windy? take that out. It wasn't too windy as well. Again, the forecast for the wind was going to be you know, a, little, a little bit you know, dangerous. Um, so that's why they just sort of decided to cut it short as well, not go up the top and it's open and exposed. Um, but overall, yeah, the, it, it rained sort of a solid drizzle rain most of the, most of that day um, but nothing torrential like was forecast do you know if uh, a lot of people drop out due to the weather predictions? I think we know that I think about half dropped out I think they had over 4,000 or more um, entered and I think roughly about half um, took part okay what's your highlight of uh, other than uh, through me being here uh, what would be your highlight of, of such an event uh, the tap was just engaging with everyone um, a lot of the theme was I was in the village linked in with British Airways and a lot of the theme was that uh, if someone wasn't on the platform, they had a mate or, or they knew someone else who was using Zwift. So that was that was really yeah, reassuring to know that you know, the, the cycling um, sort of you know, in cycling scene were, were quite well known now. Maka, what do you make of uh, of uh, events like Letap Australia? Yeah, look, no, they're they're fantastic. I mean, there's an argument to say that. We've almost got too many Grand Fondos or Challenge rides, but Latap is a new dimension. And, you know, with the might 
of the Tour de France, you know, behind it, and that's where its origins are from. It's a fantastic event. I haven't done it. I haven't been there. But the, ironically, I was taking a tour group through that area a week prior, and the weather was magic. So <laughs> I hate to rub that in. But I, I felt for all the uh, – really the organisers too because I've been involved in events on the other side of the fence, and it's there's nothing worse than outdoor events. Mm. You have to rely on good weather or you hope for good weather. So, But they got through it, which was great to see. And as yeah. you pointed out, Wes, it could have been a lot worse. It could have. We actually got put inside for the second day because the village sort of moved inside. So they sort of did try to look after us and preempt mm. that, that bad weather change. So it was really good. Good organisation. And Sophie, what do you think of uh, how important that uh, Chris Froome uh, supports this event and, and being here for, for the fans down here? Well, he's one of the biggest names, if not the biggest name in cycling. So just, I mean, from a business perspective, it's smart to have him headlining that, I assume. Journalism 101, don't assume, but I assume um, <laughs> it's a big draw card for people uh, interested in the event or that, you know, or ardent sort of fans or cyclists, I guess you could say. And it's an opportunity. I mean, it's so rare. I don't think in any other international sport you'd get an opportunity to yeah. sidle up alongside an elite sportsman like that. I don't think you can get on the court and play with Rafa Nadal, you know what it is. No. <laughs> Wes, did you see – I'm interested to see if you if you saw the look of Chris Broom's face on the start line. You know what it's like. I know what it's like, although my memory uh, – it's, it's been a long time now for me. Being on the start in the miserable conditions, it's what, December – for a guy, you know, let's let's be honest, he's out here. He has to be out here. It's yeah. part of his his contracts, I guess, that he has. Tough gig, though, isn't it? Lining up for a Fondo for the Tour de France champ in terrible weather. Yeah, it is a tough gig. Yeah, <laughs> like, like he had a, he had a, a big smile on his face. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, he was probably thinking in the back of his eyes some other things, but he, he looked quite chipper that morning. So. Uh. Like I said, it wasn't it wasn't as bad. It was it was light, it light, a light less. drizzle. It could yeah. have been torrential. Yeah. So I think he was probably thinking that as well. Yeah. Yeah. A few years ago, it was torrential in Launceston. Actually, didn't he do the Launceston he did. criteria? He did. Yeah. Well, he, and he, he sat he very did well off the. He? he sat very no, far off the back. Two. He did a lap, lap and a half. I think he did four laps or so. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't counting, but yeah, no, it was it was uh, it was good good fun. What's good as well uh, is to to um, to recap the year with him because he's been able to chat to uh, to Phil get uh, on stage actually uh, let's have a listen to a couple of his comments because he, he comes back on on a year that was pretty particular for him this year in the Tour de France uh, if I'm honest on reflecting on the race now I'd, I'd say that I, I wasn't quite at my best for this year's Tour de France I think I was I was extremely lucky to to still win it even though I, I mean I, I lost the jersey to Fabio Roux um, mm. halfway through the Tour um, and uh, took it back three or four days later. So, I mean, it was a very close race, but um, much, much closer than, than I, I feel comfortable with. Um, I mean, the, the pressure on my shoulders was absolutely immense on that start line of the time trial, stage 20, the, the last test of the Tour de France, um, with, with only 20 seconds separating me in second place um, and uh, third place only, only a little bit further behind that. So. It really could have gone either way this year, and I think I was, the relief was massive. Uh, absolute, it was it was massive because I mean one puncture, and that that could have cost me the race. Yeah. So I mean it was it was way too close for my liking, um, and um, but, I mean it, it did did make for great viewing and great suspense, but. Mm. Uh, Certainly didn't uh, didn't 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 help me sleep too well at night. I'm sure he was uh, pretty stressed. Uh, Mac, I remember we were together in the Stade Vélodrome uh, on that particular stage, that last stage, and uh, I still remember the euphoria of uh, yeah. the very small crowd in the stadium, but very noisy. It was it was a 
One of those experiences I don't think I've experienced at a bike race before, whether it be racing or or commentating or reporting on. No, it was exceptional. And um, you're right, it wasn't a huge crowd, but the venue itself was just phenomenal. And um, it's interesting the comment Froomey makes, how he said he was, uh, not exact words, but he was he was a bit underdone or he, he wasn't at his, in his best shape. Is that scary? Because he still wins it. It is. No, I don't, I don't think so. I mean... I take it more so, it's a bit of a throwaway line, if you like. Basically, that was as good as he was going to be in 2017, um, and it was just enough. He, he rode really smart. He rode like a, a wise old man, And whereas the year before, he was dominant in the crossy winds. He was dominant on the descents, and he was even dominant on the climbs. He rode really measured this year. But it doesn't mean necessarily that he's going to win number five in 2018, does it? It's, it's, the, the noose is getting tighter and tighter, if you like, because he's, a, he's, he's the target for all of them now. Absolutely. I think the consensus, though, sorry, before the tour, was that regardless of sort of what shape he might have been in, he had the strongest team in terms of confidence, in terms of physical prowess. And I, like, we did see, I think this is the first time I've ever watched him race at the tour, and we saw that he was fallible. And David Brailsford admitted at the end of the tour there were a couple of points where they were actually quite concerned. But at the start of the tour, they themselves said, more or less the entire peloton said, Sky had the strongest team, and it is a team sport. They used it to their advantage. Wes, what do you think? I mean, there's part of it, I think, they almost sort of had the, the other team's bluff to a degree. Yeah, you I, know the I, lesser teams, maybe, maybe not teams like BMC, and then we know what unravelled there wasn't wasn't good for them with Richie Port. But it, it, it's that psychological edge you have, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Like you know, leading in it and then running in with that theme. You know, everyone knowing that they are the strongest team, even though you know, like look, teams like BMC, you know, you know they, they they're confident in their own right, but they still know that and mm. you know, still knowing that sort of got, still puts a little bit of sky on on a higher higher level. So. Uh, it was it was a really good fight though that, that tour I really really enjoyed watching. Mm. I mean they lost Garrett Thomas. That mm. was it the same day as they lost Port. I think it might yes. have been. Yeah, the same day. Yeah. So they were down. He's he's key mm. man if you like. If you look at the overall three weeks, I mean, mm. geez, a such a versatile rider. But then a complete rebirth in uh, the Vuelta. Let's have a listen to uh, Chris from again. I certainly felt better in the Vuelta. Um, I, I think. I think I wasn't quite at my best in the Tour de France, and I think by the time the Vuelta had come around, I. I had more race days in my legs. I'd, uh, I'd been up to altitude again between the Tour de France and the Vuelta, and I think I was so motivated for this year's Vuelta España. I'd, I'd really, um, I'd come second three times in the race. I'd been trying for the last six, seven years trying to win it. So it, it really, just on a, on a very personal level, um, I, I felt as if uh, the Vuelta was. Um, something I, I needed to, to, to try and win, to try and get that monkey off my back. And so it's just an amazing feeling to, to have won it. Yeah. Maka, back to you again. You were there. Yeah. Um, so how, how happier was he to win that Vuelta compared to winning your Tour de France? Or was it the same sort of excitement around? Yeah, different, I think. I mean, he said all those things there and we know. You know, he's been trying for five or six years to win it and he hasn't been able to sort of you know, stand on that top step. It was a pretty um, exciting moment, I must say, that final stage, because let's not forget it was Alberto Contador's last race. Mm -hmm. They did the circuits around Madrid, similar to what they do in Paris. They came in, Contador led them in. They, they gave him like 400-metre lead, and he did a whole lap almost uh, on his own, which was something you see very rarely now in cycling. And 
And then Froome winning, it felt it felt like a big deal. We know that the Vuelta really is third in line of the three Grand Tours, but wow, for him to do the double in the same year um, was pretty exceptional. Sophie, um, if you if you recall that energy he had winning the um, the, the Vuelta, uh, and him analyzing this right now, uh, how sort of scary is it for next year for him to uh, to go one better? I'm surprised he is doing the Giro Tour double. This might be skipping ahead of your question. I've never asked him this, so I might be sort of making stuff up. But my understanding, I don't know if the Vuelta has a sort of sort of special personal significance for him because he has come so close before. And my understanding was uh, one of the years he came, he was second to Bradley Wiggins. I can't remember what year it was. Uh, was that the well, he was, he was, was he second and Wiggins was third? Yes. In fact, so then, where's McKeon and Kobo? <laughs> Kobo, Kobo won. Yeah. Um, so I was training with Chris Froome prior to that. Right. Um, he didn't, didn't know whether he's going to have a contract. That's yeah. The, that's, that's the point that's I was going to make. That's when he basically stepped up. Yeah. yeah. I think so after he got on the podium, the, the significance of the Walter is pretty big because that's yeah. his breakthrough. Yeah. Brailsford yeah. apparently yeah. flew down, and that sort of <laughs> sealed so, his, oh, we always did want, sealed yeah. his future fate with <laughs> yeah. Sky. So maybe that race has personal significance to him. Definitely. How crazy to think about Froome being out of contract. Yeah, I mean, that was, like, that was <laughs> early days and yeah. you'd, you'd remember yeah. that really yeah. well if you were training yeah. with him as well. I mean, yeah, I mean, he, he's come a long way, isn't he? I remember him coming out to do the Herald Sun tour mm. back in the Barlow World days yeah. and I think he was, he was actually top four or five. So he was, mm. he was a good bike rider, yeah. but nobody, nobody in their right mind mm. would have thought that Chris Froome would now have four Tour de France victories under his belt of Walter Espania and many and other. just about to reach for one of the greatest position in the in the world of cycling. It's I love it because it goes along the lines of what Bradley Wiggins tried to do. Yeah. Won the Tour de France, said now I want to try and win the Giro d'Italia. He he didn't do it. I won't say I think fail is a is a big statement. I won't say fail, but he didn't win it. And then he tried to win Paris Roubaix. Mm. How many Tour de France winners do you get in this era, modern era, that can do that? Not many. Well, they will even try and have a crack at that yeah. as well. So, yeah, it's yeah. not since the days of Bernardino, or and he's not yeah. training a kayak or something. Yeah, have you seen this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, imagine that. Where's that at? Actually, is he? How's he going? No, I think he's doing the tries for Team GB. Oh, okay, that's actually quite serious. Okay. He can actually make uh, the world championship and How his, his aim is be? on the Olympics. Is, is, is he doing the singles or the doubles? or the? I've got no idea. And I need to check this, but that's crazy oh, to think about. <laughs> uh, let's hear from, uh, from Chris from uh, the, the Giro and what's coming up for next year for him. There is a certain amount of risk involved there, but I, I, I really feel as if this year is, is, is just an amazing opportunity in, in so many ways and, mm. and a very difficult opportunity for me to turn down given that um, I've won the Tour de France, I've won the Vuelta this year, and if I did go on and, 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 and win the Giro, that would, I mean, to, to hold all three titles within a 12-month period would just be, that's, that would be magic. That would just be, that would be so, but then so the pressure's on, of course, because you're the Mr. Tour de France. To win in July, just a few weeks after the Giro, I think it's about six weeks the gap. It is. Can you, do you think you can get yourself back into shape? I do, I do. I think typically between the Giro and the Tour, you have five weeks um, next year there's six because of the, the Football World Cup. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a, that's a very special opportunity. It gives me a one week extra to be able to, to be able to recover and have an extra week mm. of, um, of, of training and pepper preparation leading up to the Tour de France. So I, I, I believe it's possible and uh, my coach Tim Kerrison believes it's possible. I'm certainly going to set out to try and accomplish that but um, I, I know I'm going to have uh, 
have to go up against everything next year. So, uh, so clearly, uh, Chris Froome, uh, he loves yellow, he loves red. Uh, do you think he loves pink as much as uh, the other colours? Interesting. I'll, Wes, I'll throw this to you, I guess, from a cyclist perspective. He's got an extra week this yeah. time. Or they've got an extra week. Yeah. Everyone's got an extra week. Who wants to try and win the Giro and the Tour because of the World Cup? Yeah. Is that enough time? And then my second part to the question is, and in my opinion, and agree, disagree, he's still going to go into the Tour just a little bit off if he goes flat out at the Giro. Whether he's got an extra week or not, the, 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 the stress of the Tour de yeah. France is next level. Yeah, well, that's, that's where I'm thinking. He went in and just won the Tour and then smashed the Walter. Is he going to come in and just win the Giro and then smash, smash the, tour. the Tour? And then reboot. That, I mean, if I was Chris Froome, that's the way I'd be running it. But, right. but then also, you know, the fact of, of owning all three of those tours in your, in your pool room. So to that, to yeah. that as well, like, you know, w which way will he structure that? Like, like me just thinking is like he'd come in just underdone, which is good enough for him, maybe, and then win the tour as well. So do you, think, do you think in terms of the, the learnings he had this year <coughs> mm -hmm. on the fitness he had on yeah. the Tour de France mm -hmm. and the way he was able to deliver well, at the, the Vuelta, yeah. he's probably going to be able to replicate this next year and smash the tour? That's what I think, yeah. But that's what Naira Quintana did this this season. Tried he said do, he yeah. went into the Giro oh, yeah. tw slightly underdone and his history was he'd always done better in the second Grand Tour of the year and he completely tanked. Did he say he was – or was it whether it was smoke and mirrors or – wasn't he sick at the Giro, Quintana? It came out a bit later. They hit it at the time because he, wanted, he didn't want to give his rivals an opportunity to attack the bejeebas out of him. Yeah. <laughs> but um, he, he was ill, I think. At the Giro, and I'm not, I'm not giving him excuses, but it's uh, the other point I think is Froome hasn't had to peak in May. Now he's got to peak to some degree. Mm. I no, agree I mean, with the, you. The Walter is 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 a bit different as well mm. to the. Um, sorry, the Giro is a bit different to the Walter yeah. as well. So yeah. in terms of you know they always try to make that race pretty extreme with some of the climbs and the steepnesses of things as well. So, you know, so does, so does the Walter in its own right. But the Giro is, I've never raced the Giro, I've raced the Tour and the Walter, but the Giro from everyone I've spoke to that's raced it, it's, it's no walk in the park. It's pretty all. brutal. It's brutal. And Sky's yeah. actually never done well in it. No. Never. There's always something that happens yeah, to them it and, the... and it unravels. Christophe, he's, can I throw a question to you? Go being, for it. Being an uh, <laughs> honorary Frenchman. Um, what, if, if it was you, I mean, when you talk about the history, and we heard that new interview with Froome, he talks about, wow, to hold all three titles in a 12-month period. Mm. What's more important, that or going into a very, very select group of winning five Tour de France? I, I would say winning the, having the three jerseys because he's got time to win that fifth Tour de France. Jeez. See, I disagree. That's not I the answer I wanted. <laughs> no, no, he's got that grunt. If, he wants I don't know this. if he's got the time. I think if he felt sick in the Giro, it'd be, okay, I'm out and and focus on disrupts the, you, It disrupts your... Um, he's on consecutive your, your runs. training, though, doesn't yeah. it? Even if he does get sick and pulls out early. Oh, but it's, I, yeah, the flow of things for him then would not be ideal for his uh, lead in to the tour. But yeah. I think, I think uh, he's definitely got his eyes on the two tours. There's no question about it. Mm. Uh, but... Back of his head, he's, I still think he's got time to win that fifth Tour de France. He's I'd got like another to know year his, or two to do it, you know. I'd like um, to know his motivation for doing the double because I know Alberto Contador has said he doesn't believe the Giro Tour double is possible, and 
Marco Pantani hasn't been yeah, done yeah, for years. Yeah, goes his motivation. The, 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 the last person, yeah, the mm. last person that did it was in 1998. And from the consensus I got from the World Tour Peloton this year, it was everyone just said, oh, "It's not happening." But it's the fact that you've got that extra week sort of opens that window never for him say to never go, I say yeah. you know, it can be yeah. done I'm it also interested done. and I said this off air before Sky has just confirmed a 30 man roster yeah, for next season I think they might be about the only team that hasn't downsized for for the new year and I wonder if that will also make a difference for them in that they will have fresh riders for both events and a psychological impact on other teams as well saying we've got the bigger crew we've got a bigger budget we're still here you know we're not moving didn't didn't I reckon have the biggest bus? <laughs> you know, that's, tallest, it's, tallest. it's all about the bus, <laughs> isn't it? The tallest, bus, not the biggest. <laughs> <That's> the tallest. <laughs> not by much. It was only a couple of inches. <laughs> you were there, yeah. Yeah, I was there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, guys. Um, if we on other news, um, Sagan, we have heard that the UCI has made a call on the position uh, whether or not Sagan should have been thrown out on the Tour de France. Uh, Sophie, you've got a bit more info on this. In well, the UCI overnight. Uh, announced or published the most banal press statement I've ever read in my entire life, basically saying that um, Sagan and Bora and the UCI had come to an agreement that they weren't going to pursue this legal dispute anymore. And I read the statement as the UCI kind of conceded that maybe they'd made a mistake, Sagan was cleared of wrongdoing and left it at that. That was my interpretation of the statement. And Dimension Data came out later and said they disagreed with it, that they thought Sagan was at fault. and they So were they're upset. still saying it. They're still saying that, and they were upset yeah, they weren't involved in proceedings. I think it's kind of a little too late from the UCI. I've said from from the day that I don't think Sagan, I personally don't think Sagan should have been disqualified. It's just you were there, a weird well. way you to end it. I was there. Macker and I had we very were, heated we were debates. all over it like a nasty rash, weren't we? Very heated <laughs> debates off air about whether... They made the right call and and whether it was right, it was the right or wrong decision. And Lapartian has come out and said next year they're going to have more sort of video available and second commissaires. They said, and they said with yada, that, yada, yada. In that in the comment in the statement that the, the he, he defended the UCI commissaires saying they made their call based on the evidence they had and. There was vision that they didn't ha- wasn't available to them at the time. Well, which they've we now saw, got. We saw vision. I saw vision that afternoon, that evening, uh, the next morning. Christoph, you were there too. Yeah, Don't try and, try and sit on the no, fence. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> but I mean, it was you know, as a it as an ex rider and Wes, I'm interested. It, it's it's. I know it's done and dusted, but you know, cop out seriously. And they're making the call now in December. Like, what does that change? As well, what's what the was... point of making the call? It's well, just to stop. Any further you know what, I was even more, uh, I, was, I was going to pay out on them even more. And I read the article and I went, okay, it looks as though Bora Hands Grower and the UCI have made an agreement. Yeah. So they were both, they were going to challenge each other in uh, court of arbitration. So Bora and Hands Grower are part of this decision that's just happened now. But still, it's pretty poor that it's happened in December. Yeah, it's, you know? it's a long, and long time after said- the event. There was someone on Twitter said last night, because in the statement they've said they've made this sort of decision to let it go based on new video footage that's emerged. And someone actually made this point on Twitter going, how have you got new video footage? (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, it made me laugh. I was like, well, actually, we're nitpicking here. That's a good point. (laughs) I mean, there was five different angles of, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's, no, no, poor poor form, poor form. Okay, uh, let's take a short break. And then uh, when we come back, we'll talk everything Zwift with Wes. 
Zwift is a sponsor of this podcast and we love it. It's a transformative indoor cycling platform where you can connect with rides all over the world for group rides or workouts. But it's also free for kids. Under parent supervision, kids under 13 can sign up for an account and ride for free. It's a healthy game for them and a way to let them play while also getting them off the couch. So if your little one wants to join you, you can Zwift side by side. It's pretty cool. Check it out for yourself at Zwift.com today. Uh, welcome back to Zwift Cycling Central podcast. And uh, uh, let's talk with Wes about uh, what a year it has been uh, for Zwift, not only because you guys have been a, an amazing sponsor for, for this podcast, but uh, the platform just went ballistic. Yeah, we've, we've um, had a, a really good uptake. Um, now we're crossing over to the to winter for Europe and America. Um, so we've, the group workouts has come to the platform as well, which has been a, a really, really um, successful. Uh, and then we've got a few other things coming in the pipeline, which will be exciting as well for the new year. Can we talk about them or not really? Not uh, really. Well, yeah, I mean, Eric's, Eric's already dropped a few hints. You know, Obviously, there's, there's running that's around on the platform as well. Um, so you, you probably, if you've logged into Swift, you might have seen some runners out on course. So there's been some group runs and that sort of thing held from um, from LA, um, the Long Beach. There, they've been getting some rum groups going, sort of doing a bit of trialing with that. Um, but yeah, there's there's um, some other expanding things that'll be coming to the platform too. Okay, there was a lot of work done with the the academy, the Swift mm. Academy. Can you can we talk a bit about about how how significant that work is for for Swift? Yeah, it's 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 been great the the feedback and it's really really important um, you know to to support uh, you know, the the Quebecer, um Foundation as well, which is a really great time with with the Dimension Data team um, and having those riders that were selected the three riders um, and Ollie Jones in New Zealand are winning that having them being there at the training camp but also being part of that handover the bike experience with the Buffalo bikes um, that was something that. Uh, just come back from New Zealand with um, doing some other TV and things with Ollie there, and Ollie said that was something that he didn't, you know, realize how special uh, that was until uh, till he was there, hands on doing that. So mm-hmm. yeah, because they'd mentioned that they'd be doing the handover and those sorts of things, but he said that was that was a an, another sort of level for him of something he didn't didn't really think too much about until he was there in person. How, how much do we wish? Um things like Zwift were around when we were racing because I was when you were just talking about LA and like I'd imagine the when market we were, when we were battling out when we were battling in, it out. in the Anaris races <laughs> well, well I'm thinking no I'm thinking living in Belgium in February oh, right, yeah. with the terrible weather yeah but that must be a huge market and and growing market for yeah. you guys like European winters or, or yeah. North American winters yeah yeah the, the uptake obviously um, during during the weather patterns you know when it's starting to get colder then a lot more people get on Zwift but saying that you know, throughout Australia we're, we're holding pretty strong um, obviously coming to summer here and the weather's warming up um, we're holding pretty strong with, with the amount of people still using the platform because you know they see they see value in it. Uh, you know, they can get their, their week, uh, weekly ride in, a group workout ride. They can do the Aussie Hump Day ride, which has, you know, over 400 people on um, some of the rides. So it's and it's o'clock. time efficient, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you get you get that hour of power in. Mm. Um, you know, there's group workouts on the platform as well. So, you know, it, but you can free ride on there as well and you, you'll just meet up with a group. So it's like going out along Beach Road here, whatever. You go for a ride and you might tag on to or meet someone you know. And that's the other thing too, you, you know. You're training and, and riding with you know, like-minded people across the world, so it's pretty, it's pretty cool. And Eric, you, your CEO said, uh, or Zwift CEO said that uh, uh, the best bang for the bucks uh, they're having is actually in Australia. The engagement is far stronger than it could be in the US or in in the UK. 
Yeah, we found that through running the Ecrit series, um, which you were involved in, Christoph. Absolutely, um, that's fun as well. Yeah, it was good fun. I've learned so much about the platform. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So Christoph came in and yeah, didn't quite know too much about Zwift, but no. certainly picked it up really quickly um, with that with the live um, event we held um, for a part of a series in Australia. So Ecrit series. So that was open for um, for anyone to race as well, not just Australians, but the actual point system of it was um, was only geared towards the Australians. And then those those uh, top nine uh, races um, in the points uh, were then flown down to race and put up in the hotel by Zwift and then battled it out for the final. And we had one wild card in there also. So 10 people racing it out live. And um, our, our very own uh, Pat Shaw was there as well. Yeah, Pat Shaw was there, and Being he sneaky. He, he, <laughs> he went. He went. He went long and early, and uh, just got caught on the line. He always was yeah. sneaky, yeah. Pat. Yeah. <laughs> if he's listening, I know he's listening <laughs> in the shop. We're a loyal listening. crew. Oh yeah, no, well, well, he's not. not we can yeah. on <laughs> I guess with Zwift as well, this is you avoid tan lines. Is that yeah. a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> That's actually. I know with yeah. the opposite well, sex, it you might want to be get tanned, but you want to get tanned all over, don't you? Really? Yeah. Yes. your tan lines. Like, isn't that sort of a with hardcore cyclists? Isn't that sort of level of? But that's where you just go your virtual avatar. You just keep changing the shade. You can. You're all set with that. Everything. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a new thing you're implementing yeah. uh, over the next Tan-line. twelve months. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How much do we know? It's uh, it's an important tool for professional riders. We we've noticed this at the Tour de France where mm. Michael Matthews mm-hmm. and others were riding yeah. on their off day. Um, yeah, on the, the rest day. You know, the rest day can be. You know, it depends where you are sometimes you'd be on the side of a mountain or whatever and it's just not ideal to um to you know go rolling down the mountain and then have to climb back up to the hotel so that's where you know the platform there is very accessible and you know we obviously fully support the pros jumping on the platform but the biggest thing has been that they want to jump on um you know it's no, there's no forced hand and it's very organic the growth that we've we've had um of, of pros wanting to use the platform uh, like cavendish a couple of days after he'd Got his collarbone all plated up and let's get on Zwift. So, you know, reached out to Steve Beckett and, uh, you know. Probably saw the success of Matt Heyman. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say, that was one of the biggest There's, there's Zwift ones, effect for that. I mean, there's a video going around on YouTube of that and it's a really good, really good watch, a really inspiring story. And him talking it out with his coach and Kevin and whether they can get it together. Um, and then Matt saying, no, yeah, I'm going to give it a crack. Because he was six weeks, more or less, yeah. wasn't he, on Zwift, yep. leading into yep. Paris-Roubaix. Yeah. I mean, and, that's he that's and he won it. And he won it. And he wins it. I mean, it's, yeah. it's crazy, isn't it? Like, yeah. You know, yeah. And you know, from, from winning Roubaix to you know, taking a young under-23 rider across the other side of the world to ride with Mark Cavendish and, and to mention data team and then to sign with a, you know, with, with a feeder team, and live in Luca in Italy, like oh, that's a huge opportunity. Try for explaining going. this to your granddad. <laughs> What's the, what? Where do you see in five years? I guess five and even yeah. ten. Then yeah. with the, with the um, technology, yeah. when you talk about yeah. taking this under twenty three over and mm. signing, how real can it get? And how real will it get in the next five years that suddenly teams mm. will be trialling young riders via some, a platform like Zwift? Or could we see a Zwift team in the Tour de France, like a real team sponsored by Zwift? Yeah, that's, I think now that, now that uh, with all you know, the little box on your bike uh, that shows your heart rate and all your other power going through, I'm, I'm just straight away thinking, right, well, you link that up to Zwift and mm. you can see the riders have a virtual peloton. Of of the, and for other the like minded people at home can jump in even with thirty seconds yeah. jump in with them so yeah. like I see that oh, hopefully some sort of shared data there to to cross cross you know cross that over so people can experience the pace of the of a 
of a real of a real life event virtually. Yeah, and is this? I guess this leads on to um, groups like Valon, mm-hmm. doesn't it? That that if that can be negotiated amongst the teams and with ASO, mm-hmm. because that's it can be beneficial yeah. uh, for the teams, obviously for mm-hmm. you guys, but mm-hmm. but for the sport as well, can't it? Yeah. I, I see Maka and Tomo uh, commentating on the race and actually participating on the on the, I was on the say, race. Yeah, <laughs> set, set up a, a bike station. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. well, does that mean I could really whip Tomo's backside? We're going to let him reply to this on Twitter. <laughs> what a beautiful image. <laughs> you eating breakfast or lunch. I mean, on the bike, one. not any other way. <laughs> Shall we end on this? <laughs> Wes, thank you uh, so much for coming. It's been a real pleasure to have you. And Sophie, and of course, uh, Maka. Thank you. Thank you. Thank and Cheers. And this is it for the Zwift Cycling Central podcast for this week. A big thank you to our guest. Uh, let me remind you that you can uh, download or stream our podcast on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash central from our website sbs.com.au slash central or by scheduling a ride with our friends at Zwift. This is it for this week. All is left to me to say is bye for now and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Zwift has group rides for all levels. With a ride approximately every 30 minutes, you can join a group and ride that fits your schedule and your level. Group rides stay together behind a leader. They enjoy friendly banter, a relaxed vibe, a little bit of fun and some friendly racing. Just like rides in the real world, except there's no worries about a rear wheel puncher slowing the group down or being left behind. Check it out for yourself at Zwift.com today.